Hello and welcome to A Broad View, the current affairs news podcast that takes the week's top news story and adds an international twist. Each week we'll be joined by a surprise guest to give us their country's unique perspective on the UK's news. I am your presenter, Charlotte Scar, and this week we are joined by an exciting guest, currently living all the way in New Zealand, Lorenzo Bushiki. Lorenzo, welcome to my podcast, A Broad View. Can you just start and explain your relationship with Italy? Uh, I um, thank you for inviting me and uh, well what's my relation with Italy I'm a, an Italian citizen I was born in Italy I grew up in Italy and now I'm I've been living abroad now I would say for five five years maybe something like this so uh, I've been living in Italy let's say 24 of my 29 years and what, what are you doing at the moment at the moment, I'm um, I'm doing a PhD in the, the University of Waikato, uh, as you said, in New Zealand, and um, and I'm working as teaching assistant in the same department where I'm trying to complete my PhD. So these are my main occupations at the moment. Yes. So to start with, it might be a little bit difficult now that you're living in New Zealand, but can you? explain what uh, the media landscape is in Italy. What type of media outlets do you have? And do they lean politically to the left or the right? If you could just give a brief explanation of that. Mm. I, I, I wanted to say that uh, even if I'm not been living in Italy now for a while, I still, I'm still quite affectionate with the Italian news. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that I'm completely detached from them. And... Uh, so um, I guess when you ask me about media, you you are referring to traditional media, no? To newspapers, uh, because uh, if, if we think about uh, new media, the to to draw a picture seems impossible, no? Uh, for example, I think uh, now in Italy, like in many other places, the majority of people is uh, gaining news and information from Facebook and not from traditional media. And I'm not saying that this is good or bad. I'm just stating a fact. So uh, going back to traditional media, I, in my understanding, uh, the main newspapers that now uh, as you can imagine, work mainly through uh, internet subscription, so not by selling paper or paper copies. Of tend to be uh, leaning uh, to the uh, to the left, and uh, and then there are a group of I would call them I don't know if it's the right word tabloids that are uh, quite remarkably leaning for the for the right wing. Yes. And at the moment, what what is the political situation of the Italian government? I would say a mess. Maybe at the moment only the United Kingdom is in a worse mess than Italy, I would say. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside, I think the situation is, uh, is, uh, is serious because... Uh, uh, these uh, right-wing populists uh, are uh, undeniably uh, uh, reaching a lot of consensus and uh, for a liberal perspective, but for a perspective that just not uh, cheap xenophobic uh, is a very scary situation, yes. I know that actually in the UK media, uh, Matteo Salvini 
actually, he's been quite prominent in especially his reaction to the refugee crisis. And I think we were all very shocked in the UK to how harsh and how right-wing some of his policies were and some of his decisions were. Was that reflected in Italy or did people, did a large proportion of the Italian population actually agree with those more right-wing decisions made by the government? I would say that uh, even if you consider the polls uh, a consistent part of the Italian public opinion uh, support these policies. I would I would uh, just be a little bit more precise. I I would I disagree on the fact that uh, Salvini's policies are particularly tough uh, or particularly right wing. Uh, his uh, his rhetoric is particularly uh, particularly xenophobic. Then uh, the the policies he implemented either were more like a facade, either either were policies that many countries of the world pursue even without being considered xenophobic or right-wing. So, yeah, I would say that more than the actual policies he implemented is the language and the rhetoric he uses that is very, uh, very scary. Okay, so you would say that, in fact, that the policies he did implement were actually not dissimilar to those used in other countries, but it was just the manner in which he did it and the manner of which he spoke about it kind of made it more made it more uh, harsh or maybe it's seemingly more right-wing than something a policy that would happen in the UK. Yes, I would say uh, that's definitely my interpretation. If you look at the, uh, this, uh, at the time he spent at the in- Ministry of Interior, and you see uh, what the previous uh, Minister of Interior Affairs, Marco Minniti, did. You realize that uh, they there are not uh, very substantial differences. And the, the few times that uh, Salvini made this uh, uh, show of uh, uh, stopping a couple of ships in the sea uh, was very uh, limited uh, factual difference was more uh, uh, a show for uh, media for the public opinion so yes i would say that the real difference with the past and with other policies of other countries is the language he uses the language he uses from my perspective and the perspective of still many people thank god this very um, uh, disgusting, disgusting. The trick is always the well-known, I'm not racist, but, and uh, I'm underlying the but. And uh, with this, the the worst and the most disgusting arguments are introduced. Yes. Is that a common phrase in Italy for people to, to say, I'm not racist, but, and then follow it with a fundamentally racist statement? Is that... Well- I think now it's more a joke in the sense that, uh, well, yeah, that's true in every country. No, I mean, when you someone start, I'm not homophobic, but I'm not Islamophobic, but uh, you know that he's going to say something homophobic or Islamophobic. So, I mean, I, I would say now it's more a joke than a real sentence that you can hear. But yes, of course, uh, I heard this sentence. Yeah, Salvini himself... Uh, uh if you tell him in a talk show that uh, that is a racist he will uh, like uh, apparently get offended or insulted and he will say that it's not a racist 
But then uh, if you look at this like Facebook communication, it's all about xenophobia and uh, uh, sharing news of uh, these uh, refugees doing the most terrible things and, uh, and the problems of uh, the invasion, uh, ethnic substitution, this kind of uh, uh, rubbish, let's say. So today, the new story that we're going to be discussing is the whole scandal around Prince Andrew. So the Duke of York, I think on last Wednesday, said that he was stepping back from royal duties because of the Jeffrey Epstein scandal, uh, which had become a major disruption to the royal family. And he was granted permission by the Queen to withdraw for the foreseeable future. And obviously, this was a massive scandal Uh, A couple of weeks ago, he was on uh, Saturday Night TV doing an hour interview about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. I don't think it was the most favourable interview. There were moments where he he was massively criticised after for not feeling sympathetic towards the victims or not showing his sympathy towards the victims. And I think at one time he describes Epstein's behaviour as being unbecoming which is probably one of the biggest understatements um, he could have said. Has this story been portrayed in the Italian media and the Italian press? I I have to confess that uh, um, the stories of the British royal family are not uh, at the centre of my interest. So I made a little research before, uh, before speaking with you, and I read some articles from, let's say, the main traditional media, and uh, as you said, uh, once one thing that I noticed is that the the interview was considered a total uh, epic fail. And um, yeah, so uh, what I heard, read was uh, in line with what you said. So basically, the interview was a failure, and uh, apparently, one of his uh, not uh, communication uh, manager even resigned because uh, he was so disappointed with the decision of participating at this show and uh, and uh, um, and uh, make such a bad impression that so that's what i read i think one of the most disturbing things was that apparently straight after the interview because it was recorded uh, i think maybe a week before it was broadcast that he actually found that he thought the interview had gone really well and he thought it it reflected on himself very well which is I think universally acknowledged as a complete fallacy. Obviously, you specifically aren't interested in the British royal family, but what is, as a country, Italy's relationship with the British family? Because uh, for the US and certain other countries, they really glorify the royal family and think it's such a brilliant thing to have. You know, it's a huge tourist attraction for many. How does Italy perceive the the royal family then? I agree with what you said, and uh, in uh, what you said, uh, without any desire of being provocative, as you said, I think uh, outside of the UK, uh, the British royal family is uh, kind of a Hollywood-like institution. So it's more it's more matter for tabloids and gossip than. Uh, let's say, serious, and uh, I'm serious in a broad sense, news. I mean, it's not something you would speak about if you want to have a political conversation, but it's something you would hear people speak about if you go at the hairdresser salon. That's quite interesting. So it is, it's, it's not a significant, but it is still an underlying, there's still an underlying interest in what happens. Maybe because it's so, it doesn't exist in Italy and it's almost 
that you just said about the US and uh, worldwide. Yeah, I would say they are very famous, but uh, not as a political institution, as a, as you said, as a touristic attraction, as a, as a source of gossip and. Uh, yeah, and this kind of uh, paparazzi and uh, uh, love stories, and uh, not uh, not as a matter of a serious uh, political uh, interest, I would say worldwide. That's how I feel is perceived. I mean, not worldwide. Let's say in, the, in countries where the royal family, the British royal family, is not a political power. So, in terms of the UK media on this, I think unanimously there was a quite a serious attack on Prince Andrew because. I mean, some of the evidence is just undeniable when he, you know, stayed at Epstein's after he was uh, charged with the trafficking of minors. I think it was really interesting because rural correspondents in the UK almost have a very, I want to say easy job, but they just go around following the royal family on their different trips. No scandals really take place. It's a pretty easy job to follow them around. However, at this moment they have reason to be extremely critical of the British royal family and especially how this whole Prince Andrew affair was pushed aside and ignored. There was one interesting opinion article in The Guardian where uh, Suzanne Moore, who was the writer of it, said that, in fact, that maybe this is a time for the British people to almost disown the royal family and maybe when the Queen dies, it would be the end of the monarchy, which I think is quite an interesting point to make, taking this might be the, the moment where we think we don't want to be paying our taxes to the monarchy. We maybe want, we, maybe we want something more independent from that. For Italy, I know, I know that you've had some scandals with certain presidents in the past and I wanted to look at it is this I mean I'm speaking of Silvio Berlusconi yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> obviously no one else I mean he's had some really significant scandals and some of them I think he managed to he managed to carry on through these scandals I mean correct me if I'm wrong but I was just wondering do you think that comparing Italy's situation and their relationship with questionable men and men with their questionable sexual ex- sexual experiences sexual endeavors do you think prince andrew can recover from this well uh i wouldn't say that uh, since uh, the time of the um, you speak about the bunga bunga ruby scandal uh, berlusconi ever recovered politically yeah? i mean now we can uh, we can uh, fairly say that this a political uh, Mummy and uh, um, but uh, yeah, at the same time, I wouldn't say that uh, his uh, fall uh, was mainly connected with these sexual scandals. So uh, yeah, I'm a little bit lost. Yeah, actually, the story of Prince Andrew and the story of Berlusconi uh, have some interesting similarities. No, uh, a 17 years old woman, uh, old man, uh, and uh, I don't know. Uh, there's someone in the UK trying to say that the 17 is almost 18, so it doesn't make a big difference. Uh, so that's what you could uh, hear in Italy. And uh, did uh, anyone uh, presented this argument? Um, actually, no, I don't think anyone did. No, I, I haven't read that argument. Was that a significant argument for Berlusconi? Jokes aside, uh, I will say that uh, uh, sexual, uh, sexual, sexual intercourses with uh, with a seventeen years old uh, uh, girl—it's it's definitely something improper, no? For uh, for a prime minister and from a member of the royal family. Uh, at the same time, uh, at least people in Italy were reluctant to call this a pedophilia scandal. Because I don't know, maybe the in the collective uh, imagination, uh, this age is 
is not supposed to be called the case of pedophilia. So I was curious about. Uh, um, actually, I don't think I've read any any articles saying using the word pedophilia. I think they instead of saying that, I think they've said underage, which I think is a, a lot a more diplomatic way of putting it. And again, it is that divide of if someone is seventeen, does that make them? I mean, they're still technically under under legal age. I think in the United States. If that is actually paedophilia, but I think I don't think I've read any articles using that. They've always said underage. Uh, in Berlusconi case, uh, they, at the time uh, the the media uh, for sure were not uh, ash with him because he he own uh, important part of them. And in the case of the British uh, royal family. Uh, my my perception is that uh, uh, British traditional media, uh, besides being uh, historically legally free, uh, apply uh, a cons- a consistent form of self censorship when they have to deal with the with the monarchy. Especially BBC, in my in my understanding, has always a very very soft touch in regards of the royal family. I mean, here we're speaking about a, a scandal that... Imagine the same scandal where instead of the son of the queen, uh, the son of Trump uh, w- was involved. I mean, it's just a disgusting, no excuses, horrible uh, scandal. And uh, I mean, there is there are very few ways to defend or justify it. I mean, it seems impossible. It's a, it's a lost battle. So... No, and uh, my sensation is that uh, uh, English media uh, apply a very a form of a subtle form of self censorship when dealing with the royal family. Is this uh, sensation right? Yeah, I would say I actually would say that's a really uh, the correct way of saying. It. I think I think that you have so you have the more left wing papers such as the Guardian, which I think has always been quite critical of the monarchy in in the sense that. The British people pay significant money, which goes towards their their upkeep and their affairs. And obviously, you can't tangibly see the benefit of that, even if it has some diplomatic or trade benefit. Certain left wing papers have been a lot more critical, but in terms of the the broadcast output, so the main channels, BBC, ITV, Sky, I do think they've had a very soft touch. As as I was saying earlier, I think as a royal correspondent, you know, you just follow them around the country take photos of them stroking elephants and there isn't much scandal there'll be you know there was a little bit of controversy when prince harry married meghan markle i'm not even sure why that happened but it was that was the more tabloid press but the more central media i think they just allow them to really do what they want there's no great pieces of investigative journalism into the royal family but then i think with especially after this newsnight interview with prince andrew the evidence was just so undeniable that it was a real turning point for the media where they could actively criticise him because there was, you know, if they didn't, then it would seem as if they were endorsing his actions. So this was, I think, has been a real turning point. And as I mentioned that article in The Guardian earlier, maybe this is the point that if the media is slightly turning against the royal family, will the British public continue on that path and maybe when the Queen dies, we'll have to really put in question whether we want a royal family and whether we need one. Yeah, yeah. To to me, um, uh, yours seems a good point. I mean, of of course, I guess 
a scandal like this that, uh, as you said, even it's not a juridical truth yet, I guess, is uh, already, let's say, a journalistic or historical truth. I mean, there is very... Any attempt to to deny the evidence is quite laughable, no? I mean, we speak about a man that was visiting Epstein, uh, according to his word, one, two times a year, where uh, he claims he doesn't remember having met this girl, and then there are pictures of them, uh, another accuser. So, I mean, it's very difficult uh, to rationally think that uh, uh, Prince Andrew is uh, innocent. So, as you said, this raises a question about uh, the institution itself, that uh, from uh, my personal bias perspective is an anachronistic institution. And I I understand what you're trying to say, that uh, the British uh, taxpayers start to wonder why should they pay uh, uh, old dirty men to live a fancy life and uh, traveling around the world molesting underage women with his own taxes. I mean, make completely sense in my, my eyes. I love the way you just put that last bit. All those dirty men travelling around the world. Moving on from the great topic of the British royal family. Unfortunately, we had to choose this because it has been completely dominating the British press. The coverage was actually ridiculous. I think one of the Daily Mail, which is one of the, the top kind of tabloids, they had the front page when, when the Prince Andrew said that he was resigning his duties in the royal family. They had the front page. And then they had a four-page spread of the story, and I just couldn't possibly see how, like, what more could they talk about? But then they decided that they wanted to investigate all of Prince Andrew's alibis when he was staying with Epstein, which for me just seemed completely inconsequential because, you know, I think the interview spoke for itself in whether or not he was guilty or not. But moving on from that, for the Italian media, what points of uh, the UK and the UK's developments, do they actually follow? What are, is it, is it Brexit? Would they follow the elections which are taking place in two weeks today? What, what is of interest for Italians? Yeah, I would say definitely Brexit, definitely Brexit. Uh, I, I think Brexit is usually, is usually uh, taken as a good example from uh, pro-EU traditional media of why, why people should not uh, follow Salvini and uh, Euroscepticism because uh, Brexit is, I don't know, it's at least from this media is widely portrayed as a political disaster, as a political suicide. And uh, so I think that's why it's covered so much. I mean, basically, let's say traditional left-leaning papers cover Brexit as one of the dumbest decisions of the last century and something uh, not other people should uh, fall on the same path. Yeah, that's how it's portrayed, at least. That's, that's quite that's brutal that's talk that's from the Italian media. On my podcast, I've asked a lot of people this question. Do you think for Italy, the the fact that the UK, who is arguably an important country within the European Union, the fact that they are leaving, is there any movements, any narratives in Italy which are thinking, well, maybe we want to leave the EU as well? Or is the Italy still firmly placed in the EU and that is just not that's just not a question on people's minds? No, sorry, I was assuming uh, already the answer to this question with uh, what I was saying before. So, yeah, definitely this uh, right-wing populist uh, uh, definitely dream about uh, Italexit uh, one day. 
and that's why I said uh, maybe left-wing uh, newspapers have uh, their own political interest in uh, in portraying uh, Brexit as the most dumb event of the last decades, because for sure there are people on the other side of this, uh, as I said, right-wing populist that uh, support support this kind of uh, anti-Europeanism. Lorenzo, I think that's all I've. Well, I think. You've covered a lot of what I wanted to talk about today. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast and giving me your Italian perspective on events. Thank you to you for the invitation and uh, and ciao. What else can I say? Ciao. My my, my speciality here in New Zealand is Mario. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of A Broad View. Stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm your presenter, Charlotte Scar. Thank you and goodbye.